This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, Ken Reed, want some drugs? Uh, pretty much uh, Matt, all of them so far. Matt Marchese gave me some hot peppers from his garden. Oh, man, no, oh, I stay away from that one. Oh, you can't do it? No, no. Oh. Uh, spicy and me, no mixy. Oh, all right. I thought this was going to be for the uh, for anyone that comes in. I was going to hand over a quick hot pepper. It's like that hot wing show, Thank no you. chance. I could do it, but not that hot. No. I do. I do like it where you know have like a little bead of sweat. No, nope. and you maybe have to. You need a nap halfway through the mm-hmm. meal. Mm-hmm. I'm that guy. Nope. I I when I go out for wings, I get salt and pepper. <laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah, serious. I can't do it. I can't do spice. Can't do it. Uh, welcome back to the program. Uh, if you're watching on 360, I want to put this up here right now because this is I'm going to crack this spine at 201 Eastern. Beauty. Uh, as soon as this is done, uh, reader, you've done so many great books. By the way, I, I picked up Marook's book, Dennis Marook's oh, book you. again in the, in the in the off season. Thank you. To uh, I always sort of go through. I don't know if you like this. You go through books that you've read before. Totally. Uh, just as refreshers in the off season. Totally. Uh, and uh, some great stories in there. And you do such a great job. The Eddie, uh, Eddie, Eddie was Shack fun. Was so Eddie was too. fun. Yeah. Anyway, um, hometown hockey heroes is the name of this book, and I love <laughs> the concept of this one. I'll butcher it. Yep. So you tell us what the genesis of this is, yep. because the minute you say it and talk about this, everybody listening right now, we just did this with Matt Marchese, yep. our supervising producer, and he threw out names at you. Right away. Everybody is going to have... Everyone's going to have a guy. ...some names that they go through. Go. The concept of the book is... Grew up in a small town. I watched this team, the Picto Mariners. They had a local legend called Teapot. He was the hero of the Junior C team back in the day, and we still talk about him. Every town has a guy who's a local hockey legend who didn't make it that they still talk about. But I wanted to twist it around and say, you know what? You did make it because you made an impact on me. You made an impact on your community. And I wanted these stories shared. And when people read this book, if they're from the big city, I want them to go, wow, that's what hockey's like in a small town. And if they're from a small town, I want them to go, you should have done a story on blank, the hero of my town, because every town has a hometown hockey hero that didn't necessarily make it all the way to the show, but made a huge impact on the town and the game. You have the makings of a franchise. That's what I'm thinking, maybe. This. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm like, hoping. This may, this may get you, you know, corner office, early retirement, <laughs> all of it. I don't know if it's quite Harry Potter, but you had a guy right away. As soon as I gave you the oh, Genesis. Bruce the, there you go. Who's Bruce Dowie? Oh, Bruce Dowie was my, so I was uh, growing up playing in the, uh, his old M. The MTHL, mm-hmm. now the GTHL. By the way, just as an aside, yes. from the GTHL, you know how those I play in the G T-shirts that all the all the kids where I play in the G. Oh, I play really? In the G. Okay. For the old timers, I just wish the, the I played GT, in the M. I played in the M. Wow. For all of us old guys, old I, I played in the played M. Played in the M. I played in the M. Anyhow, uh, Bruce Dowie. So I was a goaltender, and you know Mike Palmatier was a was a Toronto Maple Leafs net minor was a huge Palmatier fan, but my dad would always take me to Marlboros games. As well, and they used to do the the, the two for one deal. You got a Maple Leaf ticket, you got a Marlboros ticket How as well. Is that? Oh, it was fantastic. So I spent a lot of time watching the Toronto Marlboros and Bruce Dowie. I thought was the greatest netminder I had ever seen in my life. He's going to be a future superstar. You know, put him find a corner already for him in the Hall of Fame. Like all of it, I thought that I had never seen a better goaltender than Bruce Dowie. Than Bruce Dowie. Bruce Dowie was my guy. Now, a very brief uh, a cup of coffee in, in professional hockey mm-hmm. with the Maple Police organization, but Bruce Dowie was my guy. And he's still, Bruce you're still Dowie. talking about Bruce Dowie. Here we are, 2023, I'm talking about Bruce Dowie. Like, right. were, like I would go to Marlboro's games and Toro's games and a lot of players from that, that Toro's team, but these were all professional. Sure. Like, I fell in love with, like, Vaslav Nedimansky, but Vaslav yeah. Nedimansky, Hall of Fame. Legit. So that's yeah. not like a, a hometown hero, to your point, right. but Dowie was my hometown Dowie hero. was your guy. So for me, back in the glory days, we're talking 83 to 86, there's one game on a week and the Picto Mariners play 
every Saturday night. Junior C, we moved beside the rink. Every Saturday night, me and my buddies Mark Crone, David Clark, and my brother Peter would go yeah. down. We'd pay a buck to go in, 50 cents for a program, two packs of hockey cards. We'd sit above the bench. The boys would come out in their beautiful Picto Mariners matching uniforms, which looked like the NHL to us. It was our town against the other town. We loved these guys. And let me tell you, Teapot was the man. Softest hands east of Montreal, my dad used to say. The man would score at will. Yeah. My buddies ended up playing in the Picto Town League with him for years. And they'd be like, the only thing missing from this room is Kenny Reed. Like, they'd be like, <laughs> why isn't he here playing with UT? Because they played on T's team. Mm-hmm. So T was a money player. And the, there's a famous story of when he went to the Town League and a game went to overtime, league championship. Yeah. And Johnny Lakerman, the ref, came over. He said, boys, how? what do we do? It never gone to overtime. What do I put in the clock? Teapot goes... Doesn't matter. I'm going to end it. And so the boys are like, what? He goes, Chabin. Is this the Messier guarantee all over this again? Is, this is the T guarantee. <laughs> T guaranteed he'd score. So he goes, uh, just get the face off in their end, boys. I need a breather. They're like, what? He goes, get the face off in their end. So they get her down. <laughs> Buddy freezes it. Goes up to Mike Chabin. Win it back to me. Chapman snaps it back to him. Teapot. Greatest snapshot ever. Boom. Bar down. Boys go up. T just skates off the ice. He knew it was done. Preordained. Took the shot, turned around, yeah, like I, a tape measure home run. You just hit it. Absolutely. And- I was at home. I was home a few 10, 15 years ago. The boys were like, come down and play lob ball with us. Teapot's on the team. Okay. So Teapot's the best at everything. So Teapot used to hit home runs at will. Best third baseman you've ever seen. Yeah. He starts hitting singles. I go, why is T just hitting singles? They're like, oh, he's he's just calming her down. He's getting old. I go, Tichiro. He's Tichiro. He's not Ichiro. He's Tichiro. <laughs> just slapping singles. And the whole town loves this guy. He's just a wonderful fella. Yeah. I'm so glad I could share his story because Teapot, as much as a Gretzky molded me or a, a Lafleur molded me or a Bob Cole molded me in my love of the game, Teapot yeah. molded me just as much. That's amazing. Uh, Dana Johnston. Yeah, that's T's real name. That's yeah. T's uh, legit name. There are some great names. And, like, it's funny, Reader. Like, I've known you for how many years now? And I've heard you mention yeah. a lot of these people as well yeah. starting with robbie forbes robbie forbes like okay so you're going well why why am i going to read a book about a guy named robbie forbes well it just so happens that back in 085 robbie forbes is trying out for the nova scotia oilers robbie forbes is a small undersized center uh i believe the Oilers said we want max middendorf down there so if you're a small undersized offensive center trying to make it with the Oilers in 85 it's kind of tough right it's a little bit stacked down there. It's a little bit stacked down there. So Robbie Forbes looks to go, you know, to a pro league in North America, but he's got a buddy who's playing in the Newfoundland Senior Hockey League and is a good friend of Terry Ryan, you know, all about oh, the yeah. lore of the Newfoundland Senior Hockey League. Go Darren Langdon. There he goes. So he says, come play in Newfoundland. Robbie goes over, suits up for the Cornerbrook Royals, who the year before had lost in stunning fashion in the Allen Cup final on home ice. Robbie goes, lives not above, but below a bar mm-hmm. with a bunch of guys. Leads Cornerbrook to an <laughs> Allen Cup, is still revered, is still a hero in Cornerbrook, still thought of beyond highly in Cornerbrook. But today in Cornerbrook, they just don't know him as Robbie Forbes, the guy that led the Cornerbrook Royals to the Allen Cup in 1986. It's Robbie Forbes who led us to the Allen Cup in 86. That's Sidney Crosby's uncle. Exactly. So he's Sid's uncle. And Ni- By the way, nicest, nicest man, man ever. in the world. Nicest man ever. You can yeah. see where the Crosby family gets it, the, the Sutherlands, the Forbes and he's just such a wonderful guy, and he's so humble. And all the guys in this book are so humble. But in researching the book, uh, it was tough to find footage of these guys, obviously, but there was some of Robbie Forbes because he went to the yep. Allen Cup. So I'm watching, and, you know, it's shot wide. There's not any ISOs of Robbie Forbes. And I go, okay, that's Robbie Forbes. Without a doubt, that's what Robbie Forbes. What gave it away, the mustache? Skates exactly like Sid. 
Really? And the you know the shoulders up, the Crosby shoulders up with the with the with the bottom high hand, hand high hand, high hand, yeah. hand, yeah, same thing. I go, that's no Robbie. No way. I couldn't believe it. Family trait. I could, yep. And I sent it to him. I go, you look like Sid, or Sid looks like you. Like the bottom <laughs> hand, right there, and the shoulders up. I just couldn't believe it. Oh, that's fantastic. So, how did you decide on the names? By the way, talking to yeah. Ken Reed, a new offering, hometown hockey heroes. According to Stephen Brunt, here's a quote: His best book yet. When your favorite hockey author says that, it's pretty cool. I need him. A, I owe him a bottle of Pictou County rum or something, <laughs> or a meet and greet with Teapot. Stephen who would was, love that. I would love to meet Teapot. Um, Teapot would love to meet you. Who was your? Who was the the, the one player in here mm-hmm. that you knew the, the 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 littlest about? Oh, by the time you started researching, all of a sudden, it's this story is fantastic. Paul Palillo. Never had heard of Paul Palillo, so I'll give you the, the, the story on Paul Palillo. Our friend Troy Smith. Smitty. Smitty goes, you got to do a story on Paul Palillo because to get these names, I didn't. You, you just can't say, okay, I know this local legend from this town. Mm-hmm. I, I put it on Twitter. Who is it? So people started responding. So then I'd follow up, and, and Troy's like, you have to do a story on Paul Palillo uh, from Brantford. And I'm like, well, Brantford's Gretzky territory, you know? Like, why would I do a story on Paul Palillo? And I start researching. I go, this is awesome. So <laughs> Paul Palillo played for the Branford Smoke in the Colonial League. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I think Ron McLean would have reffed. Ron would have reffed Ron Paul. Ron would have reffed Paul. For sure, Ron would have reffed Paul. So, and, and Troy's, I talked to Troy's dad who, who helped start the Branford Smoke. And he goes, if you go to a Tim Hortons in Branford, guys will still talk about Gretzky, but they'll still talk about Paul Palillo too. So Paul Palillo's a yeah. few years younger than Wayne, but he grows up like me. He wants the Jofa. He wants the Dau. He wants to tuck his jersey in. He wants the Titan stick. Yeah. And I look at pictures of Paul Palillo, and it looks just like Wayne Gretzky. So Paul Palillo is drafted. Remember the old supplemental draft of where course, they take yeah. NCAA guys? Yeah. Pittsburgh takes him because Paul's a late bloomer. He doesn't go major junior, but he goes and plays NCAA. He puts up good numbers. So the Pittsburgh takes him in this supplemental draft, but he was drafted by Tony Esposito. By the time he gets out of college, Esposito's gone. Pittsburgh has new management. Mm-hmm. And they go, okay, you can come to camp on a tryout. He goes, I want a contract. No, you can come on a tryout. He goes, no. So he shows me the letter he sent to Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Penguins going, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Goes, plays in Italy. Okay? So Paul Palillo's gone from Brantford. He's gone. <laughs> He's, the memory of Paul Palillo's gone. The Brantford smoke starts up in the Colonial League. Yeah. I'm like, Paul, why don't you play? Play at home. Yeah, okay, guys, I'll play at home. He is the Gretzky of the Colonial League. He's putting up 180 points, 190 points a year. Come to the International League. Come to play in the International League. Maybe you can climb back up the ladder. I don't know. My dad's here. My dad's got a family business here. I can work with my dad in the offseason. Well, come on, try it. Goes up and plays one game in the International League. Sits on the bench for most of the game. Goes, eh, no. Goes back. Back to the smoke? Back to the smoke. Legend in the Colonial League and the guys in Brantford, the old timers, will still tell you about Paul Palillo. So Paul was kind enough to share his story. Hopefully he's listening right now. And it's so cool because he's he grew up with Keith and uh, Brent Gretzky knows all about Paul Palillo. Yeah. And Paul Paul's telling me in the book, you know, I still have dreams that I'm Wayne's buddy, like that I meet Wayne. <laughs> and he was actually at the famous barbecue, I want to say it was the 84 or 87 Canada Cup where a few of the Soviets came to Wayne's house uh, after yeah, one of the games. Yeah, 87. Yeah, Paul was at that barbecue, so. No way. Yeah, so there's some really. That's a legendary That's story. a legendary oh, Igor Larionov. The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah going down in the basement. Gretzky in the basement. Yep, so Paul was at that barbecue, but uh, the old guys still talk about Paul Plill. He clearly made an impact on our buddy Smitty, who went on to a great hockey career himself, Go St. FX.
Um, there is speaking of speaking of Greskies and Branford. There's a, a, a my buddy Jason Shipley who works with Rawlings. Mm -hmm. So he lives there, um, and he's playing men's league. He tells me one night, and it's like one of those like Tuesday night ten o'clock games. Yeah, West Coast, games. West Coast. Oh, jeez. Okay, so and they're getting pumped in the first period, and. Out of nowhere, because Walter was, before he passed away, he'd always be hanging around the rink. Mm -hmm. So Walter's Walter's watching the game, and he says, <clears throat> Walter comes on the bench. They're getting pumped like five to one or something like that after the first. Walter comes on and says, you guys suck. You need a coach. <laughs> and this is like a Tuesday night, 1030 mids. Yeah. Walter Gretzky, they didn't, I don't think they won, ended up winning, but he's like, this was the coolest thing. Coming oh back to the bench, Walter Gretzky is oh coaching our team. Wow. Later. See, that's the beauty of a Walter Gretzky in, the, in that era. You didn't necessarily. You, well, you didn't have the option of sitting at home and watching a game every night. So you went out to your local rink and you watched these guys. So all these guys in the book, uh, they benefited from that era where there wasn't a game on TV every night. I'm glad there's a game on TV every night. It provides us with a job. But still, man, get out to your local rink if you can. We, whenever I'm in Wellington, I pop in, I watch the Dukes. Just get out to your local rink because you never know who you're going to see. And it's it's fun to kind of kind of. To kind of be ahead of the curve and go, hey, I, I saw that guy. I saw that guy. And <laughs> you never know who, who might catch your heart, right? Not necessarily because they make the NHL, but the, like, I mean, in this book, there's guys that people just still look up to so much that just played junior in their hometowns you and not necessarily ma in major junior or anything like that. You know, it's in, in one of the hockey days in Canada that, that I was involved in, it might have been Winkler. I remember having a conversation with Wendell Clark and we were talking about the small town hockey phenomenon in mm -hmm. Canada. And he brought up the point. He said, like, you know, you're from Toronto, so this is this is lost on you. Mm -hmm. um, but in a lot of communities across this country, the rink's where everybody goes. Everywhere. After school, go to the rink. Yep. Uh, you know, after dinner, I'm going to go to the rink. I'm going to go have a cup of coffee. Oh, I'm going to have go a cup of rink. coffee at the rink. Mm -hmm. It is like a central hub of socialization mm -hmm. at, at, in, from town to town to town. We have we have banquet rooms in the rinks where you get wet, you get married, you know, and then you have your stag there. Um, and yeah, it, it honestly, it is lost. And it's funny because I have two sons, as you know, and they're yep. growing up in Toronto. And my brother and I discussed this writing the book. I go, my sons aren't going to have a teapot. But then I thought, well, their, <laughs> their teapot will just be Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner, right? Like they, they're missing out on what I had. I feel I consider yeah. myself lucky because I had both. And I remember making my first trip to the Montreal Forum. I was in grade seven and that was, it was like, it was this monumental trip. And, it, and when you're a kid, you're, you're thinking that's all that matters. But now as an adult, if I could take a time machine, I'd go back to a Picto Mariners game on a January in 1984 yeah. in a heartbeat. Like, did, did, it was so cool. I'm, I'm curious, growing up playing playing Hockey East, was there anyone that you played with that made it to the NHL? There's only one for me, Keith Osborne. Okay. So I played Toros with Osborne for really? one, maybe two years. Yeah, and he had, I don't know, like 20 games, I think, in the wow. NHL. It was a first-round draft pick, really? uh, but he was the only guy okay. that, no, played, no, that made it to the NHL. No one I played with, but my brother, who was three years younger, played with uh, Johnny Sim, Colin White, and Derek Walser, all the way up Ooh, to Midget. So nice. three of them went on. His, his peewee team... Uh, three guys went to the NHL. Four guys were drafted to the NHL off a of peewee team in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Two on the cup. So, yeah. yeah, my my buddies went on to win a lot of Pictou Town League titles with Teapot, playing for K the Cayley Optical Flyers. <laughs> How were the? Okay, let me ask you about the games. Yeah, let me ask you about Teapot games because I've told the story before on this program and elsewhere. Once upon a time, mm -hmm. hockey East. Well, hockey west, hockey everywhere in this country was really violent. Yes, it was. And the games would take a long time. Mm -hmm. And what they found was the only way to get the guys to stop fighting was to play, before the national anthem, for Canada, was to play God Save the King, now God Save the Queen. 
the, the law of the land in Canada was once you, when you heard that anthem, no matter what you were doing, you had to stop. Yeah. You had to stop. And the first evidence of this, I want to, I think it's Cape Breton. Maybe it's Sydney. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that that's where they first started doing it because the referees would totally lose control. Yeah. And the only way is, okay, hit the music and here comes God save the king and the guys would have to stop. It's funny because I, when I heard about that, I kind of looked at it and said, okay, eh, maybe it's a myth, maybe not. And then I got a copy of the 1965 Memorial Cup. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the Edmonton Oil Kings and the uh, Niagara Falls This Flyers. is the one you've showed me. Sanders, and, yes. and here in the back, as the, as the cops are hitting the ice, trying to get the kids to stop, in the back, they start playing God Save the Queen. Wow, and they stop. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a we true We could call story. Bruce Campbell. He's in the book, a stud for the Waterford Jets, Junior A. He was a, a Cape Breton Junior A player. He might he might know. He played he in the Waterford. Like, when you hear that song. Yeah, you stop. <laughs> the game's on. Unless they're the you, song. You know that, like, okay, this thing's out of control, and the yeah. officials are yeah. just saying, I, playing I, God don't save the to, King. I don't know what to do with this game anymore. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't remember God Save the King in a Mariners game, but wearing this sweater... Loaned to me by number seven, David Door to the Mariners, because yeah. he heard I was doing this. Smells delightful. And I said, David, how did yeah. you get the smell of weed, smoke, and wine out of this <laughs> sweater? He said it took a lot of washes. But so, again, in more innocent time, Hector Arena, Saturday night, picked yeah. the Nova Scotia. Thousand people there to watch Junior C. Some of them were there to watch the fights, most, if no mm-hmm. doubt about it. My parents' only rule was don't go down by the Zamboni. And I was like, why? They go, well, that's where they smoke the, the funny cigarettes and the bottles go flying on the ice. <laughs> True. I remember one night a bench brawl against Trenton and Lester Turple, number three defenseman for the Mariners. Remember when Wendell hit Bruce Bell? Oh, yeah, and then Charlie Bourgeois confronted him. There and Wendell go. pointed at Bruce Bell and said, uh, yeah. first of all, uh, let's, this. Let's, let's get my blades away from Bruce. <laughs> uh, he launched himself into the Trenton bench uh, at their coach, Wendell style, and bench brawls. And, but Teapot was known, and it's still known amongst their buddies. Wasn't a violent man. Didn't like the tilts. But if he needed to calm it down, you guys had God save the king to calm yeah. things down. We had the teapot headlock. He'd just get a guy in a headlock. Couldn't move. He's, he's got the strong wrist from fishing, right? That was the Tim Horton bear hug. There you go. Okay, the, the Tim, Tim Horton, Horton bear, hug, bear hug. The was, teapot headlock. Was it te- That was it? Like, it's over? Oh, yeah. The guy couldn't move. Well, see, it's funny, too, because I the, the other thing that's like that for me is uh, Jay Shares. Okay. Who doesn't, no longer an official, no longer a, a linesman in the NHL. But Jay Shares, who was as strong as any of the guys that he officiated, always loved watching him break up fights. Because when he got your arms, it would grab him and squeeze. A little and, twist, oh, yeah. And then, oh, <laughs> you just watch the guys yeah. take a knee and, and buckle a little I, bit. Like I love when, it. When Shares grabbed you in a fight, really? it was over. The Tim Horton bear hug, the Shares grabbed the teapot headlock. <laughs> but it was a magical time, Jeff. And seriously, the whole town oh, was man. there. Everyone was there. No, no plexiglass around the rink. What'd you have? Chicken, Chicken wire, wire at one end and no boards. I remember a guy named Kent Corbett would always sit right down by the penalty box. My brother and my buddies would be above. Hang on, did they have the high boards that were higher than the hips no, or the low no, boards? No, just regular boards. boards okay. Pucks and sticks flying over. And at least once every two weeks, my dad, the announcement for my dad, because I should see a puck go in the stands or yeah. fight in the stands or stick. If Dr. Dan Reed is in the building, because he please report to the Hector Arena office, no dad would have to go fix somebody up. It was it was it was delightful. It was awesome. It was a buck for fries, a quarter for hockey cards, and you can watch your hockey heroes. And my number one guy was T, and he's still a legend in town because because of all that stuff. All right, let's uh, let's let, let's let's let people know about this one more time. It's called hometown hometown hockey heroes. Um, it is a delightful, I'm assuming, because just hearing you talk about all these <laughs> players, and I've heard you talk about these guys for years, uh, romp through 
heroes from small town hockeyville that's what it is that's what it is and uh yeah it's on sale in bookstores now and and please if you pick the book up let me know who your local hockey hero was that didn't make it right i don't like if you grew up next door to Sidney crosby that's awesome doesn't count though but let me tell you i, I can guarantee you Sidney crosby probably had guys like this in cole harbor that he thought wow that guy's super cool you know yeah uh, going to a junior a game in cole harbor back in the day yeah you had teapot i had bruce dowie you had Bruce Dowie. Uh, by the way, if you're in Edmonton, I'm signing books at the Indigo on Saturday in the West Edmonton Mall, 2 p.m. Nice. Come on out. And, of course, I'm signing at the Sports Card Expo here in Toronto in a couple weeks. So getting what's your, busy. What, what's, real quick, we have like 30 seconds. What's your greatest find at one of these expos? Oh, boy. I found an Expos helmet once, a Montreal Expos helmet for 40 bucks. Uh and I got uh, a Flash Hollet card I'd been looking for for no years. Way. A 3940 Opeachy. I found that at, a, at an expo not long ago. So I, I'd say old Flash Hollet was the best one. Anatoly Tarasov's Road to Olympus. Mm-hmm. Two dollars. Two bucks? Two bucks. I'm still looking for your Gumper book. I haven't come across that one That's yet. That's going to be more than two bucks. They That's, call me Gump. They call me, me Gump. One of me. Pineapple the, squares. The best. Oh, I got his recipes in the back <laughs> and all the places he would booze on the road. <laughs> Tell me an NHLer right now who would do a book like they call he me Gump. A, he had a booze body, too, on some of them hockey oh, cards. Oh, he sure beautiful. did. Uh, Ken Reed and his new book, Hometown Hockey Heroes, available everywhere. Pick this one up. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Thanks to uh, Ken Reed for stopping by, Greg Wyshynski and Elliot Friedman as well. Uh, we turn our attention now to our next guest. Man, there's so many different places um, we can go. Uh, the playing career, the next steps, uh, thoughts on the game, thoughts on kids, thoughts on uh, Hockey Canada and the upcoming U20 World Junior Hockey Tournament. He is former NHLer Stanley Cup champion Brent Seabrook, and he joins me now. Brent, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, I'm doing well. First of all, um, one of the things that we've been talking about since this season started, and I know things were always you know, awkward the first couple of weeks, I've had so many people come up to me, a, a few, and say like, I, I know that you know older teams want to you know sort of ease into in, ease into a season, but the one thing, as much as there's an accent on offense and skill and speed and all that right now, outside of a handful of teams, whether it's Carolina or, or Vegas, those two come to mind right away. Right away, there's not a whole lot of premium on defending. When you look at the game right now, and you took a lot of pride in, you know, in your game and in, in, in being a defensive player, how much actual defending do you see going on right now? I think the game's changed quite a bit since since I've played. It's a lot faster now. Um, you know, defending is is different than when I played the game. Uh, I think early in the season, I mean, it's impressive what uh, some of those teams are doing: six and zero, seven and zero. You know, but but I found it always took a couple games to get back into the the swing of, of structure and mm-hmm. and things like that. You can you can always try and replicate it in practice and training camp, um, exhibition games. But uh, but when when all the big boys are playing and and they're moving the puck around as well as they do, it, it takes a little bit of time to get structure in. But um, as far as defending the game, I, th- I think you you, you got to defend, you know, speed, a lot of speed. I think. Uh, you know, making plays. I'm watching a lot of games, and and like you said, I think there's a few teams that are that are really focused on that, and 
and there's a few teams that uh, that still need some work on it. But it's uh, it's always a work in progress. How, how long did? Because you know you were you know at the at the high end like when it when it came to defending, and you know you and Duncan Keith were you know spectacular uh, as 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 a pair. Um, why why is it such? It's always here, you know, the American Hockey League, it's, a, you know, the defense finishing school. It's, you know, that's where we learn how to play the defensive side of the puck. For those that may not be familiar or, or aware, when we say learning how to defend, you've already talked about it, you're defending against speed. What are you talking about as a defenseman when it means I'm learning how to defend? Huh. Well, you got you got some good questions for me here, Jeff. Right off the hop, uh, Brent. Right off the hop. Yeah, right off the hop. Didn't even mean at all. Um, <laughs> you know, I think uh, I think defending. I think you know, just to 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 sort of expand on the last question. I think you got to defend as a team. You know, I, I think with the speed nowadays, it's it's really hard to close, especially on those fast guys with the way penalties are being called and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, defending. If we're talking about defending, I think you got to be really confident in in uh, position. Um, you got to lead with your stick. You got to have a really good stick. Try and uh, try and manipulate that puck on their stick and try and get them thinking about, you know, a stick being there. They got to make a second move. They might not have extra time if my stick's extended on the puck. Um, you know, position when you get to, when you get a guy in a bad spot, you really got to try and close and and and. Uh, and create that separation and, and really create that battle and, and try and try and get it up. But if, if you don't have support from, from teammates, D partners, centermen, mm-hmm. wingers, and you, you, you don't get a, you, you can't get out of the play. Like I said, it's, it's really fast now. I think, I think teams are, are forechecking hard. I think if, if, if I'm able to create a battle and I've got no option there, I'm getting closed on too quick. And, uh, and I think that's uh a big part of defending these days in hockey, whereas you used to be able to, 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 to have a big body check or, or create separation. You'd get an extra second to, to maybe get your head up and, and, and make a, a stretch pass or, or whatnot. But I think, uh, I think defending nowadays, you really got to defend as a team and, and individually, I think you got to be really confident in your positioning, um, knowing what your teammates are going to do and have that trust to, to, uh, to all be in the right spot when, when the time comes. You know, listening to you talk about this, one, one name is is jumping right out at me. And I don't think that, uh, well, we certainly don't talk a lot about him. We don't talk enough about him at all. And he was a big part of your team. I think of Nicholas Chalmerson. And, you know, you were fantastic. Duncan Keith was fantastic. A lot of times I come back to Nicholas Chalmerson. You have a thought on him and, and his career and as a as a teammate of yours? I've got a lot of thoughts on on Hammer. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the way he played, um, the selflessness he had to to put his, you know, face on the line to block a shot. Mm -hmm. I think the way he played positionally, um, you know, how he, you know, he was a predictable player. And and for our team, I think having, uh, you know, we had a big chunk of that group that was together for a long time. Um, You know, and then we had some, some transition players like we sort of transitioned out of it and uh and then we had another group for a long time i think predictability and trust is a huge thing and when we're we're talking about a player like jalmerson we all knew what he was going to do every time he was on the ice Mm -hmm. Uh, he was going to be really really hard to play against hard on the puck he was going to block a shot he was going to chip it out he was going to get the puck moving forward our forwards understood that 
you know, if he had the puck on his stick and he couldn't put a tape-to-tape pass, he was going to get in the neutral zone so we could pressure that puck. Um, you know, a really simple, simple hockey player that gave us everything he had every single night. And, you know, when I, when I think back at, back, back at our teams that, that were successful and, you know, conference finals and, and winning Stanley Cups, I, I think uh, he was just as important as anybody else on that team to, to our success. And uh, I think we had a lot of guys that don't get talked about enough that, that were very, very big parts of, of our success. And, and I think that's what made our team great is we had, you know, our front guys that the media and everybody like to talk about, but we had a lot of guys that, that played secondary roles yeah. and, and positions for our team that just did their job and just really helped our group out and, and really made that bus drive. So, With Brent Seabrook, um, let me ask you about shot blocks. Uh, and then I want to get into this uh, the second phase of your hockey career here. Um, shot blocks. I'm not sure if you watched the, the Buffalo-Montreal game on Monday, but there was one sequence where Montreal's killing a penalty and David Savard... <laughs> Loses a blade, um, eats a couple of really hard shots, one high, I think one caught him in the hip as well, you know, just sort of staggering yeah. after the whistle to get back to the bench. Like, I know teammates love it. Fans go crazy for it. Brent, I've seen you in that position before. I know it doesn't tickle. Uh, I know how much your teammates appreciate it, but as, as best as you can, like take us through the mind of like what David Savard would have been going through at that moment because you went through that numerous times. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I didn't watch that, um, you know. But if you lose a blade, you're you are helpless out there. You are you're, you're you're a fish out of water. You're just really trying to do anything you can. But you know, blocking shots. I mean, you, you got to be in the way. You know, you got to be in the way. Um, you're trying to help your teammates out. You're trying to kill a penalty. Or you're trying to get the puck out of the zone. You're trying to help a goalie. Um, you know, I, sort of a. I guess a badge of honor when you get hit and it stings and it might take you a couple minutes back at the bench to, to get feeling back in your foot or in your hip or anywhere else you might get it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it takes, uh, I don't know. Everybody says goalies are weird. I think people <laughs> that block a lot of shots might have some weirdness to them too. But, I agree. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I always loved it. I always loved that was a, a way I could contribute. Um you know, and I, I think, uh, you know, being on those teams that, that we had, I think you're really trying to just contribute any way you can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if it's blocking shots or, or uh, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, you're trying to win the game at the end of the day and, and, uh, and you deal with what comes out of it after that. So, uh, With Brent Seabrook and um, part of the Hockey Canada Management Group for the upcoming uh, U-20 World Junior Hockey Championships, at, at what point... And Kelly Rudy always, you know, would always uh, talk to me about this, and, and he's talked about this numerous times, that when you think about retirement, part of you retires right away. Like when that word first, you know, enters, uh, enters your mind. At what point did you start thinking about, you know, the second part of your career and what it was going to be and why was it going to still be in hockey? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I think it probably wasn't... <laughs> after I retired um, you know I was focused on coming back mm-hmm. I had some surgeries um, things didn't work out three months after I I guess officially retired from injury uh, I had a hip replacement and uh, about five weeks after that I called the surgeon and said I wanted to come back and play I felt amazing so 
Uh, he laughed me off the phone, said that's too long of a conversation, but you'll never play with a hip replacement. So that was sort of the end of that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I always knew that I, I wanted to be in hockey. I, I love the game of hockey. Um, I love the different aspects of it. I think, you know, my focus turned from, you know, what, what am I going to do now to I got to learn as much as I can. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I could go play a hockey game today you know, cause I've done it my whole life. Yep. I'd probably be minus 11 and, <laughs> and be kicked off the team the next morning, but, uh, doubtful, um, older, slower, a little heavier, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I could do that. I could under, I understand it. The other side of it, the management side, coaching side, I don't know which Avenue I've really pinpointed yet. Um, but I love it and I'm, I'm learning a ton and I'm, I'm learning how to, you know, scout with the world junior team. I'm learning how to, uh, you know, identify players. I, uh, Mike Dick was the coach of the Giants, and two years ago, he yep. uh, he was coach of the World Junior Team, and, and they asked me to come coach. So I was there for a month uh, throughout Christmas, and, and the, the World Juniors, when the World Juniors was going on, I was coaching the Giants, and I learned a ton. We went, uh, I think we went 1-11, and 11, so I really, <laughs> really learned how to coach um, and, and try and find different scenarios and sure. watch clips and try and help players and things like that. Um, so I, right now I'm, I'm really just trying to learn and, uh, learn as much as I can and try and, uh, try and get better at this and then hopefully try and figure out what I want to do in, in the, in the coming months and years and, and go from there. How, uh, how are kids different now? I mean, it's always hard to sort of, you know, Hey, remember back when you were 17 years old, what were you like then, Brent? But how are kids different now, uh, than they were when you were their age at junior hockey? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of differences. Um, you know, I, I think, I think access was way different now than it was when I was 17, 18, 19, whether you're watching clips. I mean, I, I remember I was actually talking to this the other day. Like I remember I wanted to watch video on myself cause I was struggling when I was 16 or 17 in junior and I had to sit in the coach's office by myself with his computer and watch the whole game Hmm. and try and try and like wait for when I got on the ice. And then I'd fast forward a little bit and I'd try and find my clips. And nowadays, like you got, you know, 13 year olds can get their shifts on, you know, whatever website it is. And and they can see their stats and everything and all that kind of stuff. And, And then the access to like, you know, the little clips of, of, you know, watching Connor McDavid, his highlight real goal you know I, I think kids see the highlight real goal I don't think kids see how that developed bingo. you know bingo you know like I think I think we've lost sight of you know McDavid didn't score the goal because he had a spinorama in the offensive zone and roofed it or you know beat five guys he was either back checking or you know 10 seconds before he was low in the D zone and he was able to build his speed. And, you know, like, like certain situations like that, or you see Patrick Kane's spinorama backdoor pass to Hosa, and it's like, whoa, that's amazing. I'm going to try that. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, we had, we had really good defensive zone coverage. Kaner was in a good spot. He got the puck from the centerman in a good position. He was able to build his speed. He saw Hosa come. Hosa was flying from the other end. Like, we don't see any of that stuff. We just sort of see the end result, and I think that's a – a lot of, of, of how 
I think kids in general are viewing the games nowadays. I am with you about a million percent. I've got two boys that play. Thankfully, they 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 watch full games. Um, but there's a lot of their teammates that they'll just watch highlights on their phones and. You know, they'll just watch right. this this spectacular, and those are about you know five, maybe five, maybe six highlights a game where you're where you're, you're scoring a goal. It's all that other stuff. Like to your point, like it's a little chip to get to get uh, to get out of the zone. It's a really clever zone entry. It's a board battle. It's it's a whatever. Like that's the game. Like I know everything else is like leads to the score, but that other stuff is the game. Brent, I'm I'm with you about about a million percent. Listen, we're uh, we're up against the clock. Wish we had more time. Uh, continued success. Uh, good luck with the uh, with the management role with the World Juniors, and uh, we'll touch base soon. Thanks so much for for parking time for me today. You got it. Thanks, Jeff. There is Brent Seabrook, uh, former NHL defenseman, Stanley Cup champion, talking about whether it's kids only watching highlights, shakes fist. Or winning Stanley Cups and Nicholas Chalmerson and some of the unsung heroes of his game and how to defend and how to block shots. Um, really interesting conversation. Uh, thanks to Brent for stopping by. Thanks to uh, Ken Reed. I'll plug it again. Looks great. Hometown Hockey Heroes. In about five minutes, I'm going to be cracking the spine of that one. Uh, Elliot Friedman and Greg Wyshynski, uh, a Wednesday staple here on the program. Back in 22 hours. Thanks for joining me. There's only one game tonight, New Jersey and Washington. No excuse. Watch it. Get to bed early. I see the bags under your eyes.